Okay, back to our Old Testament minor prophets. Uh, we are today in Habakkuk. Say that with me. Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Say it with a little more growl in your throat. Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Say that on the end. Habakkuk. Okay. Uh, you'll sound like that if you say it correctly, uh, but that's where we will uh, be today. So open your Bibles there to Habakkuk. A little history about Habakkuk. Uh, it, is, it was written between 610 and 605 uh, BC, and it was written about the tribe of Judah. Uh, Judah is uh, the fourth son of uh, the Israeli, uh, of, the, of the, the God's people, uh, the four, fourth son of Jacob, and uh, who became Israel, and his first wife, uh, uh, Jacob's first wife was old weak-eyed Leah. So uh, don't forget about her. Uh, and you, if you don't believe me, just go back and read that text in Genesis. That's what we named her uh, as we preached through Genesis because that's what the scripture called her. Um, so why did he write, why did Habakkuk write this and why is he one of the minor prophets that's included in the, uh, in the canon of scripture? And, and so what you're going to see as we work through the text is Habakkuk is going to just kind of lament and he's going to kind of pour his heart out to God uh, over the sins of, uh, of Judah, his tribe, uh, and he's going to really talk about that and he's going to say, I know we're sinning, uh, but he's also wrestling with the fact that uh, they are still in captivity and their enemies are actually more wicked than they are. So he's like, man, I know that we're really bad, but the people who are actually holding us captive are way worse than us. And so why are we still here? What are you doing, God, is really what Habakkuk is saying through this entire, these th three chapters. And, and so Habakkuk questions God, which I love because I always tell people in, in the midst of strife and they have questions for who God is, I always say this, God's a big boy and he can take it. He can take your questions. He can, he can take your lament that you pour out to him. And so don't be afraid to do that. Don't be afraid to say, God, why are you doing this? Why is this happening? I don't like this right now. It's okay to say that to him. You're not offending God. We read that all through the scriptures where people in the midst of travesty, in the midst of situations they find themselves, they lament to God and they go, why am I here? Why am I, do why am I having to endure this that I'm doing or this that I'm in the middle of? Uh, and so by Habakkuk being able to pour his heart out to God and God actually responding to him, uh, by, uh, Habakkuk's faith is increased and he has increased faith in not only God's wisdom, but God's sovereignty and God's salvation for his people. So right off the bat in this book, Habakkuk begins pouring out his heart and his fear and his concern to God. So look with me, if you will. Uh, we'll begin in uh, chapter 1, verse 2. This is what the text says. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save. Keep going with me in verses 3 and 4. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. How about that? You ever said anything like that to God? And that's strong, strong words. Basically, Habakkuk was saying, hey, Lord, hey, are you listening? 
Are you listening to what I'm saying here? Do, do you see what's going on? Are you aware of what's happening? It seems like I'm this voice crying in the wilderness, but nobody's hearing me. It seems like I'm a tree falling in the forest and no one is around. Am I not making any noise? Missed that one. <laughs> Habakkuk goes on, as we see in, in verses uh, 3 and 4. He's like, why am I having to see all this violence? I mean, violence is all around me. Why am I having to witness all these travesties that are going on around me? How long before you rain down your justice on these people, God? I'm surrounded by violence and contention, and no one does anything about it. What's going on seems to be like a cruel joke right now. You ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like Habakkuk did? Have you ever had those thoughts even in the recent past? I mean, we've, we've had our own share of some travesties around us in our own city, in our own area here in the Mid-South. I mentioned it a few weeks ago, but Eliza Fletcher and the travesty that happened to her. I mean, I found myself going, Lord, are you kidding me? Are you serious? The, the brutality that this girl had to endure? Are, are you kidding? And what about those little babies that got mauled by that dog? I, I couldn't even think about that. Think about the mother that had to witness that travesty. I, I, I literally, I don't, I'm sorry I even kind of brought it up for you guys today because I don't like to think about that. And I found myself going, you got to be kidding me. Why would you allow things like this to happen? I, I kind of felt the way that I think Habakkuk was feeling. Maybe some of you have cried out to God lately and you're like, how long, oh Lord, are you going to let this continue that I'm going to have to keep walking through this thing that I'm walking through? How long, oh Lord? Are you going to have me endure this path that I'm on? Are you listening, God? Can you hear me? Do you even see me? What's happening is cruelty. And no one's doing anything about it. We've felt that way before. That's what Habakkuk was saying, too. And, and incredibly, the Lord does hear Habakkuk. And the Lord responds to Habakkuk. And this is what he says. Look in verse 5. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe even if I told you. Let's keep going uh, in verses 6 through 10. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. Underline that in your Bible, highlight it in your uh, text. I, God says, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press loudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly 
fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come from, from they all come for violence, all their faces forward, which means they are coming at you, bro. They, they gather captives like sand. At the at kings they scoff. <laughs> kings. And the rulers, they laugh. Ha ha ha, rulers, whatever. They laugh at every fortress. What's a tiny little wall? What tiny little peas? For they pile up earth and take it. That's what they said. I mean, that's exactly the way that they were responding. That's the way the Chaldeans were responding. Now, I found this interesting uh, as you get, look back with me in verse 6. God says, for behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. I am raising up the Chaldeans. You might want, I told you to underline that. Who's raising up the Chaldeans? Yeah, God is raising up the Chaldeans. Why is God raising them up? Were they a bunch of nice, God-fearing, church-going people? No? Who would say they are not nice, church-going people? Raise your hand if you agree that they are not. The Chaldeans were not nice, kind, church-going people. Okay. Who would say that they are nice, church-going people? Okay, good. All right. I'm glad we're all on the same page here. Um, so the Bible teaches us, track with me here. The Bible teaches us that it was God who raised up this violent people that held his own people in captivity. Hmm. God raised up a violent people who took his own people into captivity. Huh. The text says that God raised up a people who were ruthless and chose violence as their God. God was raising up the Chaldeans to accomplish his own purposes. Hmm. See, God is God. He's the only God. He's the only God who knows all. He is the God who causes all. And he does it to accomplish his purposes in his way and in his time. And he doesn't change. God was not like this in the Old Testament. And suddenly, through, after a little bit of time, God changed and he became something else in the New Testament. See, I'll remind you that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Okay? And so let's, let's back that down. Let's go in reverse order. He, we, we like the God of forever, right? Who likes the God of forever? Raise your hand. You know, he's going to prepare a place for me, and I will go and be with him someday, and we're all for being, being okay with that God, right? That God we really like. And, and God today, most of us like him. Some of you are already wrestling with it. I get it. Some of you don't believe in him, and I, I get that too. But most of us are okay with God today. He's rescued our soul from sin and hell and the grave, and, and, and he's given us a hope and a future. And, and so we like the God who saves today, right? Who likes that God? Raise your hand. Yeah, okay. That, that, that's another one. We, so we like this God, and we like this God, 
But I'm not sure many of us actually like the God that we're talking about today who raises up a really bad people and does really bad things. Does some of that make you go like this? I don't, I don't know. I like that teaching, preacher. I get it. I didn't really like it either when I first started reading through my Bible and seeing that God is sovereign over all of his creation. And some of the things that we read about and see about in the Old Testament, that God was sovereign over those things too, was and is sovereign over all of his creation. I just used the theological term for that. God is sovereign. That's God's sovereignty. He is sovereign over his creation, all of it, all the time. God is sovereign all the time, and all the time, God is sovereign. Say that with me. God is sovereign all the time, and all the time, God is sovereign. Yes. R.C. Sproul um, says it like this. He said, if there is one single molecule in this universe running around loose, totally free of God's sovereignty, then we have no guarantee that a single promise of God will ever be fulfilled. If anything is running rogue on its own and doing its own thing and making its own decisions independent of God either causing or, or, or declaring or proclaiming this is what's going to happen, then we can't be guaranteed that God will hold us in the future. We can't hold him to say, you've promised this already because this dude went rogue over here on me. Tracking with me, church? Habakkuk realizes the full control that God has over his creation, and he reacts in this way, honestly, the way we should all respond to God. Look with me in uh, chapter 1, verse 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. I would again encourage you to circle that verse, highlight that verse, underline that verse, because he said, you're from everlasting, O God. O oh Lord, you have ordained them for judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. And so Habakkuk is like, I see who you are. Now, I got you now, bro. I see who you are. You are God, and there is no one like you. There's nobody around like you. My finite mind can't necessarily wrap myself around who you actually are. You are from everlasting, way back there, to everlasting, way over there, and you have been and you will always be. You hold our lives literally in your hands. Again, this is true even for us today. Your life is in the hands of the one who spoke the world into existence and the, whole, and the one who holds the universe into the existence by the power of his word. That's what the scripture teaches us about who God is. That God said, God said, Genesis tells us, God said, let there be light and what? Light was like, I'm on, bro. You know, he's like, I'm, I'm on because you said to be on. And he said, let there be darkness. Then there was darkness. He said, let there be like uh, orangutans. And there was orangutans. And, and they were like, I'm happy to be here because you said to be here. And, and so God spoke things into existence. And the New Testament says that this is all held together by the word of Jesus. Jesus is holding this whole thing together by the power of his word. That's incredible.
So if that's true, then whatever issues that you have today are not that big a deal for God to deal with them. Not too big for the true and living God. Your life is not too much of a mess, and it may be a mess, but your life is not too much of a mess for the true and living God. Your sin is not too great and too deep and too wide for, to be forgiven by the true and living God. And your questions are not too many for the one who knows all the answers, and that's the true and living God, okay? All those things that I just said are true. Whatever, and, and, and let me just give another caveat to that. Whatever objection that you have right now that you think, well, I'm too bad or I'm too far gone or God won't answer my question or this is a stupid question or God don't want to take time for me or whatever that objection is that you have, God is not, uh, it, is, it is not too big for God to deal with today, okay? It's just not too big. It's big for you, big for me. I get that, but it's not too big for him. He's a big boy, and he can handle it. Amen? Amen. Amen. So Habakkuk says, it is you, O God, who has raised up the Chaldeans for such a time as this. I see that now. And then it seems like Habakkuk suddenly gets a little bolder after he's you know, made this, this revelation and this understanding, and he's like, okay, well, I've kind of now told God who I believe that he is. And so I got a few more questions. And so he begins to ask his questions in chapter 1 and, and verse 13. So this is the way it goes. You, O oh God, who are purer eyes than to see, you who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors? And remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. All those people that you make, he, he brings them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offering to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? You see what, see what Habakkuk was saying? If you don't, I'll help you understand it. Here, here's the first thing he said. He's like, I mean, I've declared who you are, but... Why you ain't done nothing about those traitors? Those people who are against you and those people who go against what you say and who are ruthless in what they do and the way they act and the way they kill and the way they maim and the way they do these things, why are you not doing anything about that? And then, and then God, you remain silent. You don't say anything. You don't do anything whenever the wicked swallow up men who are more righteous then the people swallowing them up. You're letting all the good people get killed. I don't get it. And then, then in verse 14 through 16, he, uh, Habakkuk was liking, likening men to like being fish of the sea. So those 14, 15, and 16, when he was talking about fish and dragging these people up, he's likening men like he just spoke about, the good men. He said, you allow people and good men and women to be dragged up in nets like fish in the sea. 
And, and you're letting the Chaldeans, those evil people that you raised up to, to cast the nets out and drag up all these good people and throw them in their boat, and they seem like you're letting them do it just because they can. I don't get it. And he says, are you just going to allow this to keep going on? You're going to allow them to just keep on killing people and keep on doing these things? Is that what you're going to do? And so basically, he, he, uh, Habakkuk is saying, I know you're good, but why do you allow tragedy to continue? And these sound like familiar questions, don't they? I know you're good, but why do you allow tragedy to just keep on keeping on? How long, O oh Lord? Will this ever relent? This makes no sense. I don't understand why you keep allowing this, God. I know you're good, but come on. That's what he was saying to God. Can I get a witness refuge? You know what I'm saying? You feel that way sometimes? How long? You're good, God. I don't get this. We move on to she doesn't get it either. <laughs> chapter 2. And so, chapter 2 starts with uh, Habakkuk, the prophet, saying, here's what I'm going to do. I've asked you my questions, and so now I'm going to post up right here. Wait for your answer. What you got? And so, uh, of course, the Lord does answer. And this is what he says in verse 2. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright with him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Oh, here we go. Yeah, there we go. And so in, uh, let me go back to this, sorry. Um, I've gotten, gotten ahead of myself. Uh, so uh, God was like, listen, Habakkuk, you may want to call your friend Fred, Fred Flintstone and have him carve this into a stone, okay? Write this on a stone, Habakkuk. This is going to happen. And this is what he says in uh, verse 3. He says, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. So again, we go back to verse 3, and he says, it, uh, For still the vision awaits its appointed time. The vision awaits its appointed time. It's coming. The Lord answered Habakkuk, and he's like, hey, it's coming. And so it may seem as slow as your kids getting dressed at 930 on a Sunday morning, but it's coming. He said, the vision is true. It does not lie. It is coming. Trust me, it is coming. In other words, he says, have faith. Say that with me. Have faith. Verse 4 says, the righteous shall live by his faith, faith that he gives the righteous. Get that? The righteous shall live by his faith, faith that God gives them to have. He said, that's the faith 
We live by it. And so we're called to live by it. And so I want to do the same thing for us, Refuge. I want to call each of us, you and me, to live by the faith that God gives to us. The righteous shall live by faith. The faith that God grants to us, I want to encourage each of us to live by that faith. Don't suppress that faith. Don't, don't push it to the side. Uh, don't believe the lies that your enemy kind of slips into your ear or slips into your mind that, that, that can't be true or what that preacher's saying to you is not true or when you're out by yourself and needing to hold on to that faith. That, you, that, he, that, that our enemy tells us that it's not true, hold on to that faith. Don't allow circumstances around you to wreck your faith. Live by faith in the righteous one. And so then uh, he goes on from there, and it gets really serious. Look in chapter 2, verses 6 through 20. This is what Habakkuk uh, uh, writes down for us. And my heading in my Bible, my large Bible, says, Woe to the Chaldeans. And that's not like, whoa. That's like, whoa, this is get, about to get really bad. It's about to go down. So this is what he says. Shall not all these take up their, their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. I want you to, the thing I want you to pay attention to as we go through these verses is how many times the Lord says, woe to the one that does whatever, X, X Y, or Z. Because there's a lot of them in these verses. So pay attention to them. You might want to underline them. Just highlight them as we get to them. Verse uh, 6 says, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own for how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Verse 9. Woe to him, him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life for the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. Verse 12, woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Do you see what God is saying here? All the things that he raised up the Chaldeans to do, he is now pronouncing woe to the Chaldeans for the things that they're doing. See that? That's what's happening here. Back to 12. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the, uh, is it not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merc uh, merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? See what he's saying? He's like, people fight over nothing. They wear themselves out fighting for nothing. Verse 14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. 15, woe to him who makes his neighbor drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup of the Lord's right hand will come upon you, will come around you 
uh, to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them for the blood of man and violence to the earth, the, to cities and all who dwell in them. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies for its maker trusts in its own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake to a silent stone, arise, can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver and there is no breath in it, is, in it at all, but the Lord is in the holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. Now, uh, this is great. Uh, and, and I want you to track with me through this because there's some just good stuff in here that uh, you, you might have missed at first reading or just going through this. And so, first of all, I'll go to verse 14. Uh, verse 14 says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord uh, as the waters cover the sea. This actually is a verse that Jeff Vanderstelt uses in Soma. We are part of the Soma group of churches. Soma means body. And uh, we are part of the Soma group of churches. And Jeff Vanderstelt talks about this when he talks about discipleship because he says, The earth will be filled with the glory uh, or with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as waters cover the sea. And, and so that's a lot. And so what he's telling, whenever we talk about you being part of a gospel community group and you being part of a people that become missionaries within our own culture and that we, li we don't isolate ourselves as followers of Jesus, but we go into the world around us to share the good news of the gospel by befriending people, inviting them in and, ca and calling them to follow Jesus. This is what this verse is talking about. This is what Jeff Vanderstelt talks about. And this is uh, what Soma is all about and honestly what Refuge is trying to be in practicality. Um, and, and so then he goes on and he gets um, a, a little bit more explicit. Look with me in verse 15. Uh, this, this is what it says. Woe to him who makes his neighbor drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. See what he says? He's like, woe to you who keep on shoveling Jack Daniels at your neighbor so that they get so drunk they pull their pants down and you look at them naked. That's what it's saying. All the mothers are going, amazing grace to their kids. <laughs> and then he says this, uh, verse 16, you will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. You know, he said, you people who are giving people all this uh, liquor so that you can bring shame upon themselves. God says, how about you drink and you pull your own pants down and show people your uncircumcision and I'll just leave it there. I love the Bible. I I'm telling you, I love the Bible because it's just straight to the point. It doesn't pull any punches. It's like, Here's what you're trying to do to somebody. How about you uh, kill some Jack Daniels and show yourself? <laughs> and then he gets to uh, chapter, uh, verse 18 and 19, and he mocks their idols and their worship of them. Look, look what it says in 18 and 19. What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? You see what he's saying? He's like, you've made this out of clay, and you took a lump of clay, and you made it and you gave it some little arms and you gave it some little eyes and you gave it a little pot belly and you sit it up on your shelf 
and it's like an elf on the shelf, and you worship that thing, he's like, what good is that? that that's, what Habakkuk, or that's what God is saying here in these verses. He says, what good is that? A metal image, a teacher of lies, for its maker trusts in its own creation. He's like, I've made this, and it is now my God. When he makes speechless idols, he's like, that thing can't even talk. And then he goes on in 19 and says, woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake. He's like built this thing out of wood. And he's like, wake up, say something. And then he says, he says it to a silent stone, arise stone. He's like, can that stone teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath in it at all. Do you see how, one, how much fun God is making of idols? And he's like, this is, fo- this is utter foolishness that you've, you yourself have made something that is an inanimate object which has no breath, no life, made from the ground or a stone or clay or whatever you've chosen for the day and you're trying to get it to talk and you're trying to get it to say anything back to you. Uh, You're trying to get it to wake up and it's an inanimate dirt or clay and it can do nothing. You see that? that? That's what he's saying. And he's mocking them because of their foolishness. Now, let's sidebar here for just a second. That's kind of funny, right? However, how many of us do the same thing? It may not be, and it could be, and you, you may have a little Buddha sitting in your house. You may have a little statue of something that you hang beads around. You may have a statue of some um, former, you know, saint. Same thing. Dead. Inanimate. No power. Past that, I'll say some of us may have even created our own little idols in our home, your children. You've made little idols out of your children where they become the most important thing in your house, where they rule your house, where they rule your emotions, where they rule your schedule, where they rule everything that you're doing in your house and in your life and in your marriage and how you spend your money. They rule everything, whether or not we're coming to church today because little Johnny doesn't like the kids department. That's hogwash. Where's my camera? Put it on the middle one. Someone's close up. Listen to me, if, if, you're what, if you're doing that at home and you're sitting at home because little Johnny doesn't feel like coming to church today, shame on you. He, you've made an idol out of a little six-year-old rather than you leading your own home. I'm saying this to you too, but uh, uh, those of you who don't barely come from time to time because your kids don't want to come, uh, you've made an idol out of your little kids and they make terrible idols. They're children. 
no different than what God is talking about here. Making idols that those couldn't speak. Some of your kids can't speak. And, and you make an idol out of them. You let them determine what happens in your life. Rather than you leading your home in a godly way, and in a way that says, we're going to worship the Lord. Come what may, we're going to follow Jesus, and we're going to worship the Lord. And I'll narrow it down just a little bit further because I'm hard on men. Men, lead your homes. I ain't never done that, Pastor. Well, we'll teach you how. I'm not kidding. But let's keep going. He ends this chapter by saying, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Despite all this idol worship, despite all this uh, 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 around you, despite all these things, the Lord is in his holy temple and all the earth keeps silent before him. And basically God says, I am the Lord. Did you hear what I am saying to the people that I raised up? I raised up these people, and did you hear what I'm about to do to these people? I am the Lord, and I will destroy them because of their sin. I am the Lord, and you have nothing to say before me. Now, I can imagine that Habakkuk had somewhat of the same look that some of you have on your faces right now, which is this. Uh, But Habakkuk responds to the Lord, and, and this is what he said uh, in Habakkuk chapter 3. And we're, we're actually just going to read through uh, this entire chapter because I think it's very important that we see what Habakkuk says. This is what he says, chapter 3. Just follow along with me in your Bibles. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to this person. Uh, I didn't even give that one a try. I, I always say to, to people that say, what does this word say or what does this actually mean? And I'm like, whatever you say, just say it confidently. And I tried to say that word all week and it was not confident. So we're just going to leave it there. Uh, so here's what, according to this cat, uh, Habakkuk prayed. Oh Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. Oh Lord, do I fear? You bet. Uh, in the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. He said, take a break. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hands and there, was veiled his, and there he veiled his power. He, he, you see what he's doing? He's praising the Lord right now. He's like, whoo, I see this now. He said this now and I, I got something to say. I, I'm, like, I'm about to raise my hand and shout some stuff to you, Lord. Verse 5, before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or, or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, uh, calling for many arrows. Selah. 
You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place and at the light of your arrows as they sped. At the flash of your glittering spear, you marched through the earth in fury. Your, your threshold, you threshed the nations in anger. You went out from the salvation of your people for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from, th- from thigh to neck. Selah. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the, the surging of mighty wa- waters. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. See what he said? I see this is who you are. I see how great you are. I know the mighty power that you have, and I will wait on you, Lord. And then Habakkuk, it says, rejoices in the Lord. Uh, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. See, see, he said, as bad as this could possibly get, Verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Habakkuk says, as bad as it gets around me, no matter how bad that gets, I will rejoice in the Lord. All right, I've got to wrap this up because I'm way behind. Um, so here, here's kind of what we do with Habakkuk. With Habakkuk, we say, it's okay to question what God's doing. It's okay. Like I said, he's a big boy and he can take it. Sometimes it's not even evident to us what is going on, especially if we're in the throes of suffering. If we're right in the middle of suffering, sometimes it's hard to go, I get this, I understand what's going on, and I fully see it. Usually that doesn't happen when we're right in the middle of something like that. Or maybe when we're just barely getting by, it's hard to really understand what God is up to. And so the book of Habakkuk uh, affirms for us and confirms to us that God is sovereign over all things. His God is sovereign and omnipotent over his creation that he holds together by the power of his word. All things are under his control. We just need to know that he is at work. He is one who says and is and does keeps his promise. He will punish the wicked even when we can't see evidence of the fact that he is uh, in full dominion. God is still on the throne of the universe. Look at the last verse of Habakkuk. This is what he said. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread in high places. And so that last phrase, to tread in high places, is, listen, it is our ability in the power of the Spirit to rise above hindrances and troubles in this world and around the experience of our enemies. That we can rise above even what is being done to us. Sometimes the way before us may be suffering. Sometimes the way before us may mean sorrow. 
We know that all too well at Refuge. But we can trust in the Lord. He is good. He is sovereign over his creation. And his sovereignty covers your current circumstances and your future circumstances. I had lunch with Larry McBee this week and survived through it. Uh, and he said this to me. Uh, he said this to me, and I said, man, this is perfect for my, uh, for my sermon this week. He said this. Instead of concentrating on the why... Let's consider who God is. Instead of concentrating on the why is this happening, instead of concentrating on the why, let's concern ourselves with who God is. And I think that's the way Habakkuk responded to God. And I would encourage each of us to respond in that same way, in, even in the middle of our circumstances, in the middle of our difficult circumstances, to respond in that way. Now, maybe God brought you here today um, to hear this. God sees you. God knows you. God cares for you. You may not see it. It may be very painful right now in the middle of the circumstances that you're in, but you can cast your cares on the Lord because he cares for you. The most amazing way that he cares for you is in the forgiveness of of your sins in Christ Jesus. The Bible says, for while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. That's you and me. And just as Habakkuk found hope or godly assurance in the sovereignty of God, in the sovereignty of God so can you today. Despite all that may be happening with you, there is hope, godly assurance in the things going on around you. There is hope or godly assurance that your sins can be forgiven. There is hope or godly assurance for your salvation, or there is hope and there is godly assurance for eternal life, despite what this life may be giving you. So just as Habakkuk did and trusted in the power and the promises of God, so can you. Displayed in the power of the cross to forgive sins, displayed in the power of the resurrection to give victory over death, hell, and the grave, and displayed in the changed lives that when the Spirit of God comes in and takes residence in our life, that lives begin to be changed. Paul quotes Habakkuk that says, the righteous shall live by faith. The faith that God gives is available to you today. The faith that God gives to save is available to you today. Who are the righteous that Habakkuk even talks about? A person whose sin has been exchanged for Jesus' righteous perfection. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21 is called the great exchange. For he who knew no sin became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So on behalf of the God of the universe who controls all things, knows all things, knows your sin, I would tell you that he is inviting you in. He is inviting you in to repent of your sins, turn from your sins, believe the gospel. 
that Jesus came, lived the life you cannot live, died the death that you deserve to die, and was raised from the dead, victorious over death, hell, and grave, in the grave. And the Bible tells us whenever we turn from our sin and put our faith and trust in Jesus' finished work, that we will be saved, we will become part of his family. And we can rest in his goodness, just like this prophet Habakkuk. Let me pray for us.